Hi again, everybody. Welcome back to localjobnetwork.com radio. I'm your host, Tim Muma, and this is part two of I Want to Be a Radio Play-by-Play Announcer. And in studio with me is our guest, Ted Davis. He is the voice of the Milwaukee Bucks of the National Basketball Association. Now, here in the second part, we are going to talk a little bit about his most memorable moments, good and bad, and for any Bucks fans out there, of course, the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals run. When we talk about, uh, you know, obviously you said you've had a long career, so it might be hard to narrow it down, but do you have any favorite players, coaches, other personnel that you've interacted with that you really just, you really loved it at that time? Or oh, yeah, George Carl George was the most okay. unique coach I've ever been around uh, because you just never knew. He was the only coach that I think actually enjoyed talking to the media. Yeah, you can pick up on that. Yeah, Most I of them that. treat it like, you know, they're going to the dentist mm-hmm. or the proctologist. <laughs> they do. It's like it's it, Popovich. Greg oh, Popovich yeah. is like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's like he's going to the dentist with no Novocaine every time he's got to talk to a media <laughs> member. George Carl was not like that. He would – I think he actually enjoyed it. And, and sometimes, you know, the media would be talking to him before the game and he'd just go, well, I'm giving you all the info. What do you guys know? Because they all know stuff around the league. Sure. So he would actually enjoy the byplay. He was interesting. Um, some of my um, favorite players were guys I was with uh, in my rookie year, and I still know them. Bill Winnington is a now broadcaster for the Bulls. He mm-hmm. was a rookie. Uh, Brad Davis actually worked with me as a broadcaster. He was a player when I first came in. Okay. Derek Harper was one of my all-time favorites. He's now doing TV for the Mavericks. Uh, Rolando Blackman was a great guy to be around. Scotty Williams, now assistant coach, sure. was a great guy to be around. So there have been a few that – that, but I, I think a lot of it is – I've never had real close relationships with a player because it's just such a different environment that yeah. they're in and I'm in. And there now there are a lot of factors involved. I mean, they're younger. I'm in my mid-50s. We have nothing in common <laughs> in that regard. They're tall. I'm not. I mean, there's that factor. Uh, there's the race factor. They're you know they're African American. I'm white. We it's it's interesting that in all the years I've I've been on the I've been with teams, most of the white players hang with themselves, and most of the African American players hang with themselves. Really? Doesn't mean we don't like each other. Sure, just different it's, interests. It's just and, yeah. different interests and that kind of thing. So you've got the the race aspect of being on a team, and you all get along. We all talk, and but it's just in terms of hanging out with a player. I, I've really. Only done that maybe with Brad Davis early in my career. Okay, memorable games, ones that stand out, or ones that just you you couldn't you'll never forget. Well, uh, the the whole run of two thousand one, when the team got hot and the BMO Harris Bradley then the Bradley Center was as loud as any building. Oh yeah, I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. That was a great run. Um, game seven against the Charlotte Hornets was just a magnificent game. Ray Allen was, I think he hit like nine threes in that game. And I remember as he got hot, about the third or fourth three, after he started shooting them after that, the crowd was sensing that it was going in. And, and the, the crowd noise would come up the moment he would start to release the ball. It was just awesome. it was amazing. And yeah. I, I would just lay back. I just, and kind of like the crowd do the work for me, I'd say Ray for another three. And then, I, you know, it, by the time he got to like seven or eight, it was just off the chart. Then that whole series against Philadelphia, um, coming back home and blowing them out in game six. And then the disappointment of game seven. Mm-hmm. Um, closest I've ever been to the NBA finals and maybe the closest I'll ever get. I don't know. But I was right there. It's game seven. And uh, we were there in the fourth quarter and Ray Allen bumped knees with Eric Snow and had it should have been a, a foul on Eric Snow. They called an offensive foul on Ray. Some would say conspiracy going on there. There, but. there, there was a little bit of talk <laughs> about that with Scott Williams too. But or? Ray, yeah, Scott got yeah, Scott got <laughs> suspended. 
Twinkie Dink. And uh, so he has to go to the locker room for about five minutes of clock time. And then Allen Iverson just goes off and finishes us. I think he had 41 points in the game. And I'm, I'm sitting there courtside. And Philadelphia's celebrating because it was in Philly, mm-hmm. and the confetti's falling, and everybody's jumping around. And they brought a hat by. I remember I'm sitting on press row, and they brought a hat by. It was a red hat and a Sixers hat. I still have the hat. <laughs> and it said, 76ers, Eastern Conference Champions, 2001. Ouch. And I'm looking at that hat, and it occurred to me at that moment that they had to have hats for us, too. Right. They had yeah. hats for right. both teams. Right. I was that close to getting a hat. Uh, it was just the wrong color, wrong team. <laughs> and somewhere in the back, there were the hats. I didn't think enough to go get one. I'd like to have one just to, <laughs> you know, look at it. But I'm, I'm looking at that hat going, dang, I, I was that close. So that was fun. The wildest game I ever did was a um, it was a game in Jason Kidd's rookie year. Okay. He's a rookie. Uh, ended up being rookie of the year. We're playing down in Houston. That was the Olajuwon, Drexler, sure. really good Houston Rockets team. And it was double overtime, and the final was 156 to 149. Wow. Just a offensive track meet. And the way the game went down, we were we were up like 12 with two minutes to go in the game, and, and the Rockets came back and tied us somehow. Drexler hit a three falling out of bounds near his bench <laughs> to send it to OT. We're down nine in the overtime with 90 seconds to go. In the first overtime, we come back. Jason Kidd hits a, about a 45-foot running three at the buzzer to tie it to send it to the second overtime. Jeez. And I, I remember, like, Kidd had 38, and Mashburn had 45, and Jim Jackson had 40, and Olajuwon had, like, 45, and Drexler had, like, 40. I mean, it was a <laughs> wild game. It was one of my favorite games. When you're in a game like that or you talk about the Eastern Conference and you had uh, the East Conference Finals and you had the, the highs and the lows, I mean, yeah. are you feeling it like a fan and you have to contain yourself? Do you let it flow? How do, I mean, I feel like that'd be really difficult for like someone who, again, was a fan, obviously, of the team, of the sport. Well, that, that night that we lost Game 7, yeah. and I'm sitting there holding that stupid hat, the red hat <laughs> with the 76ers on it. I actually did get a little emotional for a minute because I thought, man, this was a great run. This was so close to the mm-hmm. NBA Finals. And and we were going to go play the Lakers, and we would have been the underdog oh, in sure. that series. But during the regular season, the Bucks had beaten the Lakers twice. Mm-hmm. Both times they played. Beat right. And I just thought we matched up well against the Lakers. I think we could have – the Sixers went out in, I think, five. Yeah. I know we could have done better than that. So I'm thinking that this is my one chance to get to the NBA Finals. I may never get this close again. And sure mm-hmm. enough – I haven't been. <laughs> so I did get a little emotional for a minute, but then I, I didn't break up. I mean, I kind of felt a lump in the middle of my right. chest, you know, and then I kind of went to break and came back and I was fine. But that one time I was like, dang, this is so close. Mm-hmm. So I think fans like hearing that with the local announcers. When it's national, everyone everyone thinks that the announcer's against their team, by the way. I've, right. I've noticed. They yeah. always think that. Everybody thinks Troy Aikman hates the Packers. I know. I've had that conversation <laughs> with a lot of people. But uh you know, as you say, I mean, when it's local, I think people do actually like that as long as it's not too over the top. You know, Ron Santo from the Cubs, people always were on him because he was so into it and screaming. And but yelling. he could be that because he was an icon. Exactly. If you're an icon, yeah. especially if you're a former player, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think – like Larry McCarron is always sure. know, screaming during the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and so I think people understand. If you're, if you're a former player, mm-hmm. Max McGee was like that. McGee just – he didn't know the players sometimes. He didn't know what, <laughs> but everybody loved him because right. he's Max McGee. Yeah. If you're kind of an iconic figure, you can get away with that. Yeah. No, that's a good point. The former player part does play a role. Let's get a little bit into how people can try to get into this career because just in talking with you, I'm sure people, if they didn't already have interest, they definitely would be interested. Now, 
when they're looking at um, education, that type of path, I mean, you're looking at broadcast school. Can you go to a general university? What do you see as the typical path or the ideal way, possibly? I wouldn't suggest my way because I didn't go to college. Oh, okay. um, and I think I learned, colleges are going to hate this, but I think I learned more doing it my way than I would if I'd gone to college. Mm-hmm. Now, you can talk about broad-based education and, right. and what you the social socializing you get in college and the benefits of that. Okay. But in terms of just learning broadcasting, I got my first job when I was in high school. I was mm-hmm. 17 years old. And I worked at a small radio station just north of Dallas, KDNT in Denton. And I was there three years. And while I was there, I did everything at that radio station. I was a disc jockey. I was a newsman. I did play-by-play. I did commercials. I edited commercials. I did the morning shift. I did the afternoon shift. I did the evening shift. I did everything. And I was there three years on a on-air commercial radio station. When I left there, I knew how to do everything I needed to do to go to the next step, which mm-hmm. was go to a bigger market. And I went to Dallas. And then I got with this radio station that was uh, the top rated station in Dallas. I was 21 when I went in there. I worked for the guy I talked about, a guy named Ron Chapman. He was a very gifted broadcaster, but he was also a very, I don't know if I can, he was, he was not warm and fuzzy. Okay. <laughs> um, many people thought he was kind of an ass, quite frankly, Sure. which he was, but he demanded excellence of you. And he did, if you screwed up on the air or messed up his radio station in any way, he was not gentle about telling you why you'd messed up mm-hmm. and why you better not do it again. And I had a few of those in the first couple of years that I was there trying to learn how to work in this environment. And I, it made you better because you were on your toes and kind of a tough love thing of not wanting to be in that office again and trying to figure out how to stay out of that office. And I did that. For the last eight years I worked for him, we really didn't have any – he was the morning guy. It was the afternoon shift. We didn't really have a lot of interaction. Right. So his his way of complimenting you was if he never said anything to you, you were doing your job. Sure. Which has also helped me because I don't need a lot of stroking or – Pats on the back. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I just, I know I'm doing a good job and that that's enough for me. So that was a great learning experience. By the time I left there at 31, I, I was a broadcast pro. I could do anything. Right. When I left there at 31, got an NBA job at 31 in Dallas and I've been doing this ever since, but I still use the things I learned in that 10 years in Dallas today in terms of how to do a broadcast. So I, you know, college is great if you want to do it. And a lot of colleges now have on-campus radio stations right. that you can work at and, and, and hone your your stuff. But the biggest thing is just to find a way to do what you want to do. If you want to do play-by-play, find a way to do it. Find a high school somewhere that is doing the games and try to get in to do it. My first play-by-play was for a high school called Louisville, Texas. They were the Louisville Fighting Farmers. That was their nickname. <laughs> they had a big farmer with a pitchfork. That was their mascot. I did their games for two years. I then moved up to do Denton Bronco high school football games. Then I started doing college games with North Texas State. Then I did college games with A&M and TCU. And you just kind of keep moving up the ladder. Uh, and and you have to learn. You have to learn to take rejection. Mm-hmm. I have been turned down for far more jobs than I've been hired. And I've been. I'm, I've worked for two NBA teams and was almost hired by another one. I had two opportunities when I went to work for Dallas, Indiana Pacers in Dallas. So, I, you know, I've had some, some people say yes to me, but I've also had a lot of people turn me down. And so you have to, especially when you're trying to break in, I, I was probably turned down, oh man, 10 times mm-hmm. before I did actually got a play-by-play job. And each time you feel rejected, dejected, 
You think it's never going to happen for you. And that's okay to feel sorry for yourself for like a day or two. But then you have to start making the tape, editing the tapes, waiting for another opportunity, sending it out again, knowing that probably you'll get rejected again, Mm -hmm. and then keep doing it. Um, You you have to want to do this very badly to stay in it. Because broadcasting is not an easy profession. There, There are a lot of things that can derail you. You can be with a radio station, and suddenly they change formats. You're gone. The whole staff is gone. So there are a lot of things that you have to to put up with in broadcasting to get to where you want to go. And you have to really love it. And you have to know that along the way, there'll be disappointments that you have to overcome. I think it's a great place to finish off. We appreciate your insight into that. And as you mentioned, um, you know, just the the hard work, the perseverance, someone like yourself who has had a a tremendous amount of success, you got to start somewhere and you had those rejections as well. Oh yeah. Yep. Well, Ted, we appreciate you coming in and uh, again, giving us your perspective on things. All right, Tim, no problem. And that will wrap it up for this episode of I Want to Be A. Again, we've been talking with Ted Davis. He's the radio play-by-play voice for the Milwaukee Bucks. You can hear those games on AM620. He's also on uh, Sports Radio 1250 WSSP. You can find that online as well. Of course, we want to hear from you, the listeners. If you have any comments or questions regarding any of our podcasts, just email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Once again, I'm Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.